This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. What a great way to tie up our time of worship and through communion and meeting with Christ and doing the things that are more meditative and introspective and reflective and than uh, uh, just to sing about there's only one that we would bow down for. And uh, he's here to meet with us this morning. Are you glad you're in church? Absolutely. This is going to be a great morning. I'm so glad that you're here. I, I'm excited to be here. I don't very often get to wear a t-shirt to church. You see what it says, right? Yes, indeed. We're going to have some fun with this today. So um, for those of you who are brand new to New Life, my name is Ron. I'm part of the teaching staff and part of the pastoral staff here at New Life, and I'm going to be handling our teaching portion of the service this morning. And uh, we are opening a brand new sermon series, and so you come on a great Sunday. You get in from the head start, and we're going to talk about a subject that has a lot of mystique to it, a lot of mystery, and, and uh, because we're going to talk about heaven, hell, and the end of the world as we know it. Does that sound like fun? Absolutely. I've got some questions about that. So we're going to go to God's Word and find out what He has to say about that. Uh, so, But before we get started at that, um, the special greeting that I'm sending out to all of you who are new here for the very first time, we're glad that you're our guest this morning. And uh, that means that you're on a spiritual journey of some sort or you wouldn't be at church. And uh, we take it that you're trying to connect with God and you're looking for a place where you can do that. We work at that every single Sunday, and uh, so we want to invite you along on that journey, and as far as we're concerned, you're part of our gang for the morning, and so welcome aboard. Uh, we, have a, we have a card that really helps us, a lot of the communication and a lot of the spiritual growth and development that takes place in our church uh, functions along the lines of this card. So if you'd pull that card out of your out of your program that you got this morning on the way in, and at least put your name on, on the front of it. But if you're here for the first time and we don't have your contact information, if you would trust us with that, we have some tools and resources that we would like to make available to you. Uh, we're not going to hit you with junk mail or any of that stuff, but we have some really practical things that we'd like to put in your hands. And so if you'll trust us with that, if you've been here two or three times and we already have your contact info, then just put your name on the front because uh, if you'll flip it over and look on the back side, there are three sections to this card. At the top part, there's a place where you can get involved in, in serving and helping other people. And uh, virtually everyone in our church works in ministry and service in some way. And so if you want to get involved in that, you can do that. Underneath that is a section for applying today's teaching. And I'm going to give you a way to do that. There's actually three ways you can get on board with that. As we end our teaching time, there's a place for prayer requests under that. And then at the very bottom, there's a way to get involved in, in uh, sort of uh, special events that our church has and things that we do together. Secondly, you want to pull out of your program. By the way, hang on to that. We'll be receiving those at the end of the service after you've had a time to glance through and fill it out. Um, and that is uh, teaching notes. So you wanna, you're going to want to get those out. And I've been told that some of you have teaching notes that already have the answers in. 
Just like school, right? No, not really. If yours already has the answers in, well, then you just get to listen all morning. And if yours doesn't, then you're going to fill in the blanks as you go along because it will help you learn and remember and uh, work on the things that you need to work on in your life. Heaven, hell, and the end of the world as we know it. When I think about that subject, sort of the first thing that pops into my mind is there have been a lot of wild, crazy, and kooky ideas out there about that, right? In fact, there have been a lot of false claims about heaven, hell, and the end of the world, starting with Chicken Little, right? Who ran around saying, the sky is falling. Yeah. You know, some of the people in our world who are tied into the Mayan calendar are you got this real uneasiness because the Mayan calendar supposedly ends on December the 21st of this year, and that could mean that there's no time after that. Well, frankly, I'm not trusting the Mayans, but uh, it's out there, and it certainly is uh, up in the air. Um, in, in the research for this message, I came across an interesting book written by a NASA physicist whose name was Edgar uh, Wittenash, and he wrote a book called 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Return in 1988. I thought that was pretty interesting, but not nearly as interesting as another statistic about that book. No less than 30,000 copies of that book were sold in 1989. What were those people thinking? I have no idea. Yeah. All of us will remember billboards that were all over our neighborhoods last year, right? The end of the world is coming on May the 21st, 2011. And there was a big notice on that billboard that said, The Bible guarantees it. Those were put out by a gentleman by the name of Harold Camping, who lives in Oakland no less, right here in her own backyard. And I was reading through the statement that he wrote after Jesus didn't come on May the 21st of last year. And he said, you know, I'm tuning in more and more to a principle in the Bible I seem to have overlooked. Here's the principle, because I want us to use it as our sort of jumping off place. It's found in Matthew chapter 24. Take a look. Heaven and earth will disappear. This is Jesus talking. Heaven and earth will disappear. That's kind of an interesting concept. We'll get back to that a little bit later um, next week, actually. But my words will never disappear. I I want you to underline that. My words will never disappear because we're going to refer back to that in just a minute. No one knows the day or the hour. This is the part that Harold Camping said he missed. No one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son, that's Jesus. Even Jesus didn't know when He was on this earth the day or the hour when He would return again, but only the Father knows. So there's a couple things we can learn from that. And the first principle we can learn is that Jesus is coming back for sure. He said it. And he said, heaven and earth will disappear, but his words, 
the promise that he made and who he is and what he's about and what he's going to do, he said that is indestructible. Nothing could ever change that or alter that. It's done deal. I wrote in my notes, you can take that to the bank. It is for sure going to happen. The second thing that we can learn out of this passage is that God's not going to reveal the date to anyone. If he didn't reveal the date to his only son, he's certainly not going to reveal it to Harold Camping or me or anybody else. So if anyone says to you, this is the day, this is the time, or, or even the month or the year, well, don't put any stock in that. Certainly don't hold your breath. Don't give them all your money. And don't sell all your possessions. I had a good friend of mine who was saying, you know, Harold Camping, I bet you could get a, if you went up to him on May the 20th last year, you could have got a really good deal on his house. <laughs> but you know what I'm guessing? He didn't sell. No. Nobody knows that stuff. What you think about this? In 1980, I was living in Portland, Oregon. I was about 45 minutes, 45 miles away from Mount St. Helens. You'll remember what happened to Mount St. Helens in 1980. May the 30th, it blew sky high. Okay? But where we were living, that was big, big, big news. In fact, in the months preceding the eruption of Mount St. Helens, the, the seismologists and the geologists were all saying, it's going to blow. She's going to blow. You better get out of here. And, and when she blows, it's going to be big. And, and people were, some people were leaving and so forth. But there was one guy whose name happened to be Harry Truman, who was an 85-year-old guy who lived on the northern slope of Mount St. Helens, and he said this. He said, I've lived on this mountain for 45 years, and she's always shaked, and she's always rattled, and she's always rumbled. She's never treated me bad. She's not going to blow. I'm staying right here. Well, May the 30th, 1980, was his last day on this earth. I want you to think about that. You know what the, the scientists were telling us? See if this has a vaguely familiar ring. We can't tell you the day. We can't tell you the hour. We can't tell you the exact time, but it is going to happen. We can tell you that. And you can take that to the bank. And it did happen. But Harry Truman was like the people the Bible refers to in, here in Second Peter chapter 3. They say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the time of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. And these people look at history and think that history is the only accurate predictor of the future. Not true. If you want to get on board with the only accurate predictor of the future, you've got to get on board with God. Because he's the only one who actually knows the end from the beginning. Always been that way, always will be that way. So, so when you hear people say, ah, I don't think Jesus is coming again. He's been gone for 2,000 years. It's the equivalent of Harry Truman saying, this mountain's not going to erupt. It hasn't erupted in hundreds of years. I don't care what you say, it's not going to erupt. It did. Okay. So that leads us to a key question that the Bible raises over and over again, and it's actually the most important concept in the Bible. It's the concept all the Bible was written on. And here's the key question. 
Since Jesus is coming again, by the way, you know how many times the Bible, just in the New Testament, approaches that subject? Over 300 times. It's not just an idle mention buried back in some obscure place in the Bible. Over 300 times the Bible speaks of, just in the New Testament, speaks of, refers to, or infers the second coming of Christ. So since Jesus is coming again, and the world as we know it, and you got to come back next week because we're going to talk about what's going to happen to our world and all that stuff, but the world as you and I know it is going to come to an end. The Bible declares that very clearly on multiple occasions throughout Scripture. Well, since those things actually will happen, the question then is, how should you and I be living? Because that has some very ominous implications about how you and I should live. And actually the entire Bible is written to answer that question. How you and I should be living so that when the world as we know it comes to an end, we're not caught unprepared for that. And even more importantly, we're not caught unprepared for the life that is to come. Because that's huge. And the great thing about church is we work on both. We work on how we should be living now And we work on where we're going. Because those are the two things that Jesus talked about over and over and over again. So now Jesus told a number of stories. We often call them parables. And we're going to go to one of those parables that Jesus taught because there are two great lessons that he gives in this parable that would be good for us to look at right up front in this teaching series about the end of the world. So we're going to go to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25, this is, by the way, right after Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words never will, and so forth. Very next chapter, this is what he says. The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Now, you've got to understand a couple of things about the culture in which Jesus told this story, because you and I, we have watches, we have clocks on the wall. Back in Jesus' day, no one had a watch, no one had a clock on the wall, and very few people even had sundials. So time was a little more relative. Do I have space for a little gig here? It's like some of you coming to church. You got it? Yeah, okay, all right, all right. I'll take it back, all right. So anyhow, these people didn't have watches. They didn't have, they, you know, time was sort of loosey-kaboosey, and so they had things arranged to where, these were, by the way, arranged weddings. So oftentimes, even the bride and the groom had never met. So the groom did not know the bride or her friends at all, and the, and the way that their weddings worked is when the groom came from out of town, why the bridesmaids would all go to the edge of the city or the village or the town uh, where the wedding was going to take place. And when the groom came, the bridesmaids would meet him and they would usher him to where the wedding was going to take place. So you got to be in that time frame. And the deal is the bridesmaids are all on the edge of the city and they're waiting for the bridegroom to come. And the bridegroom is gathering his his parties, his wedding party and his family, and they're all coming into town. So now you have the setting, and Jesus says this, five of them were foolish and five were wise. 
And then he's going to break that out for us and what that looks like. The five who were foolish did not take enough olive oil for their lamps. And they had these simple little clay lamps that had a little reservoir that you filled with olive oil, had a wick, and they lit it. Because unlike today, there were no street lights or anything like that. It was only light that you had. And they would use, with ten bridesmaids, they would use those little lamps and they would light the way to where the, the groom was going to go for the wedding. So the five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil in their lamps, but the other five were wise enough that they took along extra olive oil. And the bridegroom was delayed and they all became drowsy and they fell asleep. Okay, we know something about this groom, right? He has his own clock that he's working on, right? So they all fall asleep. And at midnight, they were roused by a shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. And so they all jumped up. And here's what took place. So they got up and they prepared their lamps. And the five foolish ones asked the others, Please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, we don't have enough oil for all of us. Go to the shop and buy some for yourself. I'm guessing at midnight in an Israeli town 2,000 years ago, there was no 7-Eleven. I'm just guessing, right? There was no shop open. But while they were gone to buy the oil, they had to go wake up the shopkeeper and all that stuff. The bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. And the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you, but you too. And then Jesus said, so you too must keep watch. Why would the groom do that? Well, number one, he didn't know who the bridesmaids were. But number two, anybody see a movie called Wedding Crashers? Back in that day, a wedding feast lasted oftentimes a whole week long, and the food and the wine was all free. So people came to the wedding because it was free food and free wine for a week, and, and people would oftentimes try to join the wedding party and claim to be part of the deal so they could get in on it. So that's why they shut the wedding doors, and the feast was done, and the groom is thinking everyone who's supposed to meet him is out at the edge of the city with their lamps, and these other people who are banging on the door later, guess who they are? They're imposters who just want free food and wine. So he doesn't open the door to them. Now there's a really interesting application from this story for your life and mine, and it's at the very end of what Jesus said. So you too must keep watch. You've got to underline that. You must keep watch. Every time the Bible talks about the return of Christ, Christ the, the, the warning is very simple. Be ready. That's it. That's God's message to us. Now, two things we can learn out of this passage. Okay, The first one is this. Jesus will come back again one day. You can't miss that. The, the groom, and the Bible paints Jesus as the groom and the church as his bride you, as you read through Scripture, the groom is coming. Jesus is coming for sure. And the second thing is, we should keep our spiritual reserves high. Because if you go back and you study that parable, the oil in their lamps 
was their spiritual reservoir or their spiritual reserves. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. In order for a light to shine, it has to get its power somewhere. And the power of our lives as followers of Christ is the spiritual reserves we get from our connection with God. That's taught to us over and over in Scripture. So I'm going to spend the next chunk of our teaching focusing on the three principal ways that Christ has given us to build our spiritual reserves because they are the most important things that we should be doing as we live in this world because the key question is how then should we live and if Jesus said you need to live with your spiritual reserves high the follow-up question then is how do I keep my spiritual reserves high how do I build them up three ways number one I should have a weekly participation in public worship and instruction. Friends, that's not just the pastor's idea. That's the way God designed the church. God knows you better than you know yourself. God knows me better than I know myself. And God made it very clear that I cannot get along in this life successfully and build spiritual reserves without meeting together as we are doing this morning once a week. That's how God set up the church. That's not my idea. That's God's idea. The 12 apostles that Jesus trained, they all set up every early church to meet at least once a week with a whole church together for a time of great public worship and a time of public instruction from God's Word because that's part of the rhythm that it takes for us as human beings to live well in this life. It just is. Take a look at what the writer of Hebrews says. So let's not neglect our meeting together, as some people do. And by the way, that's still true today. I work all the time with people who say to me, I had somebody tell me just just not too long ago, you know, I think I'm going to take a break from church. I've got other things I need to take care of. Hello? What could you name in your life that could possibly be more important than your own spiritual reserves in connection with God. I couldn't, I couldn't think of a single thing in life that would be so important, it would be more important than that. Yeah. Some of us sitting right here, and I'm not saying this to get down on anybody, but some of us sitting right here, there are times we say, I just feel like sleeping in this morning. I'm not here saying God's going to throw you into hell for that, okay? But you know what you're doing? You're allowing your spiritual reserves to go down. You see, when when the author of Hebrews uses that word neglect, I, I want you to draw a line out to the margin, and I want you to write these two words, low priority. That's what they were doing. They were just making a low priority. When it's convenient, when I feel like it, when I don't feel like sleeping in, when there's no one to go and visit, and there's no NFL game on TV, would this be a good Sunday to talk about that? It's just interesting. It's amazing how we can just start shifting this priority lower and lower when it's so vital 
to who God made us to be. So I want to challenge all of us, take a look at where you put this priority in your life, because many of you get it, and you rarely miss. And the reason you rarely miss is because you know that when you miss, that next week, you just sort of run on spiritual empty. And you don't like that feeling. And it's good that you don't like that feeling, because God wired you up so that you would come and seek Him. So that's the first thing, and that is a weekly participation in public worship and public instruction from God's Word. That's the way that you make an investment in your spiritual reserves every week. There's a second thing, and this is a really big Sunday for this, and that is weekly participation in small groups focused on biblical instruction. That's huge in this church. It's as huge as our Sunday morning and Sunday evening church services because God designed both of those into the church, not just this church, every church from day one. Take a look at this passage in the book of Acts. They worshiped together at the temple each day. These people were so excited. They were into public worship every day. And then it says they met in their homes for the Lord's Supper. These were small groups where they were meeting together and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. It's that small group setting. Why? Because church isn't something we go to. A church service is something we go to. Church is who we are. We are the church. And so in order to be the church to each other, where we can encourage one another, we can hold each other accountable when we need to, we can inspire each other, we can help each other, we can pray for each other, we can do all the things that we as a church need to be for and with each other. You can't do most of those here this morning. Or if you do, it's just on the surface. But small groups is where that happens. In this church, we happen to call them life groups. So if you see someone wearing a t-shirt like this, it means that they're a life group leader. In this church, we do life groups three sessions a year, three months at a time. So during the month of September, we are going to be registering people for life groups that will take place in October, November, and December. And so right now, if you would uh, take this out of the back of, of the seat in front of you, if you're sitting on a folding chair, you can just pick it up off of the chair. Are you impressed with this catalog? It is. Yes, indeed. How about a big hand for the people who worked hard to put this together? They've done an outstanding job, and one of the dangers of this is it's so great that you could spend the rest of the morning reading it instead of listening to me. I know that already. So we're sort of taking a chance on that. But uh, I want to point out a couple of things. If you'll turn to this page right here, looks like this. Okay, that's a listing of all, I believe there's 22 different life groups. And you can see what city they're in. You can see what day they're in, what time it takes place. You can see if there's child care listed there. And then you can see a page where you can go and find uh, a short descri- uh, description of that life group and so forth. But the column I want to draw your attention to is the column that says core at the very top. Do you see it? How many life groups actually say yes under that? Four, correct? 
want you to think of our life group. Life groups are where we get training in order to follow Christ well. In order to be a disciple is the Bible word for a follower of Christ. Now when you go to college and you're going to get your degree, you choose a major, a major and you have specific courses that you take in order to graduate with that major. But there are certain courses that every college will require you to take no matter what your major is because they consider those courses foundational and fundamental to a proper education no matter what the degree Well, I want you to think of our life groups as just like that. There are certain life groups that are so foundational and fundamental to following Christ that every Christian should receive training in those things. Regardless of whether you get married or not, regardless of whether you have kids or not, regardless of whether you're a guy or a, or a, or a gal, it doesn't make any difference. These are, these are foundational, fundamental things that all of us should be trained in. And the staff has spent the last, well, several months working on and praying through and identifying what are those things. And so then we have put them together in a core curriculum. And here's the part that I want you to get. And that is, it's vitally important that all of us receive the training in those, there are nine of them in those nine things. So we do three life group sessions a year, and what we're saying to all of our people is it would be important for you at least one of those sessions every year to take one of the core curriculum classes, life groups, until you have completed all nine. Now, for those of you that are real big into math, if you took one a year and there were nine of them, how many years would it take you to complete it? Yeah, right, nine, right? Our hope is that you could actually do it shorter than that, but that's okay. The deal is, I want you to look at those life groups first. And if you haven't received training in those areas, then at least once a year, select one of those and say, I'm going to go pick up that training because that'll be really, really good for me. Okay? So that's what the core curriculum is all about. The rest of them you can just look through. There's uh, a couple of uh, articles in the front that I think you'll find very interesting and very helpful And then there's great descriptions for every single life group. At the end of our service this morning, uh, Pastor Kevin's going to guide you through how to sign up for those. So I won't get involved in the actual logistics of that. But what I want you to understand is just as it's vitally important for you to be in the public worship and instruction, it's vitally important for you to be involved in a life group where you're going to build friendships and study the Bible and hold each other accountable and encourage each other in all those things. So those are the first two. There's a third one, and it's just as important as the others, and let's walk you through it. And that's a daily personal meeting with God through Bible reading and prayer. I wrote down in, in well, take a look at how David described it, and I'll tell you how I wrote it down in my notes. David said, Oh God, you are my God. Early, circle the word early. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you as in a dry and thirsty land. What does he mean by early? He means early in the day. And I I just want to challenge every one of us and encourage every one of us, seek God early and seek Him every day. Okay? How often do you drink water? You drink it every day? You should. If you don't, my wife will be all over you. She gets all over me when I don't drink water, as much water as I should. 
early in the morning. Start early. Start your day with God. This is, my, this is what I wrote in my margin. This is my time to visit with God. It's my time to pick up His Word and say, God, speak to me out of Your Word. And I'm amazed at how God speaks to me through His Word, not because I'm a pastor, just because I'm a Christian, just because I seek Him. And I can tell you this, I, I've been a pastor now for 40 plus years, but the most transformational moments in my life, the ones that have reached down and touched me all the way to my core and have changed my life more than any other times, the handful of times where God has met me at that level where I was moved absolutely to tears and He did something just completely amazing in my heart and in my life, almost without fail, every one of those was when I was alone with God, just him and me. Didn't happen in my life group, as good as that is. Didn't happen in a Sunday morning or Sunday evening church service. So, weekly at church, weekly in a small group, daily meeting with God. One principle, and we're going to get to application. The principle is this. Spiritual reserves don't just prepare us for eternity. This is a great thing. Everything I'm talking to you about today, we talked about since Jesus is coming again, how should we live? But the great thing about what I'm talking to you about today is it doesn't just prepare you for eternity. What does it do? It does great stuff in your life today. If you start meeting with God today, I will guarantee you, if you start meeting with God today, by the end of this week, you'll look back and I've never had anyone say to me, you know, Pastor, I got one regret in life. I spent too much time with God. <laughs> never heard that. Yeah, I, I, I just regret that I wasted so much time reading His Word every day. No, you just don't get, you know why? Because it does so much for your life right here, right now, today. And so in all that we're talking about, the end of the world and so forth, there's nothing in here that says, it's coming. You, know, you better be afraid. You better get prepared because if, you, if Jesus comes, you know, it's not the sky is falling. In fact, we're going to be painting pictures for you of eternity that I hope you get excited about eternity. I'm excited about eternity. Uh, what's coming our way and what Jesus is bringing when he comes again is so great and so good. I'm on board if he came right now. I, this would be the greatest day of your life and the greatest day of my life if I'm prepared for it. It, it, it just, it'll blow our minds. We start talking about what Christ is going to do. But it's not just about that day. It's about today. So how can we apply it? Here it is very quickly. I'm going to make weekly church participation a high priority in my life. Not just when it's convenient, not just when there isn't a football game or somebody else to go see or when I feel like sleeping in. I'm going to make it a high priority in my life. I hope that all of us would make that decision this morning. Okay? The second one is I'm going to enroll in a life group and Kev's going to show you how to, how to do that here in just a minute. And number three, I'm going to make meeting personally with God a part of my daily routine. Let's pray and the worship team will come back on. Father, thank you for making it so clear that spiritual reserves are available to any of us. 
Because any of us can, can go to church every week and participate and say, God, speak to me through your word and speak to me through this worship time. And any of us can become part of a life group and any of us can meet with you daily. So thank you for taking the cookies, the goodies in this life, putting them on the bottom shelf where any of us can get to them. Now would you help us to make sure we get to that shelf and just speak to us in our lives, I pray in your name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.